Welcome back to the Deep Dive Dynasty Podcast. I am your host, Colin Winship, here with my co-host, Toby Collis. I'm here. I'm ready. This is our first post-draft episode where we are going to be going through my own personal 1QB rookie rankings. And I'm just looking at these for the first time right now. So I'm ready to have some dissension, but maybe some happy agreement. Yeah, I'm happy to have you break anything down. If you disagree, we can have our discussions about it, and it will be a good way to talk through all of the different players that we like or don't like. To start it off, the first running back off of the board, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to the Chief at pick 32 in the first round. This pick really shocked me. I did really like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's tape, but I had him at five pre-draft. He was a very intriguing prospect because of his reception ability, but I did not think he was going to jump the amount of people he did. He landed in the perfect situation with the Chiefs, and also the fact that they unexpectedly were to reach on him in the first round mm-hmm. gives me confidence that they're going to use him a lot. It's also important to know that he was the first running back off the board as well. Of course, yeah. Do you agree with that? Because especially these topics are the most important to break down. So we can talk about them as a chunk. I have all five of the top five running backs as the first five picks. And I'm curious if there's any of Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, or Akers that you would take above Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I was also very surprised with Edwards-Hilaire going there. I think it was you who actually told me that Patrick Mahomes was Mm -hmm. a huge proponent of getting CEH there. So that makes me, I don't know if that even makes me more excited, but it is just one more factor that leads to him being in a good situation. Yeah, I mean, you got to think that if, Patrick Mahomes is looking at the tape of him watching those LSU games and and really wanting to have that guy to throw to, then you would presume that he's going to. Yeah, I think for me personally, there is only one guy that you could put above Clyde Edwards-Alaire, because as you're saying, only running back in the first round, Chiefs are reaching on him, he's in a fantastic situation, the one and only guy that could beat him out for me is Jonathan Taylor. And we do have him second in the rankings here. Yeah. Just because of sheer talent, I believe Jonathan Taylor, in almost every respect, is just better than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Not by enormous margins, but I would say slightly better this, 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 and this. Because he is better at so many things, if he has the opportunity, not that he does necessarily with Mac there, that's why I'm comfortable having Hilaire as our first. If I'm looking at a situation where, let's say, both of these guys get the starting position, Jonathan Taylor's going to blow them out of the water. Yeah, I do understand what you're saying. I would say the one big argument is you say that Jonathan Taylor is better in every way. I would strongly disagree when it comes to being a receiver, running routes, and when we're talking about standard dynasty scoring, which is PPR, the confidence that you can have that Clyde Edwards-Alaire will be heavily used in the receiving game gives me so much assurance compared to Jonathan Taylor, who I do think will take over the running job from Mac, but I also think that he may struggle to get any third down work considering that they have a very productive scat back in Naheem Hines there. So it just gives me a little bit less assurance that that's a locked-in running back one in fantasy. 
That's fair enough. I think I see Jonathan Taylor as being that rookie that leads the year in rushing yardage. Yeah, I could totally see that. That's 100%. And that offensive line that he is behind is going to open up so many holes and give him so Mm -hmm. many opportunities. As long as Frank Reich is going to hand him the ball instead of Mac, and I think there could be some hesitation in year one, but I think a year later, Marlon Mack's contract is up, Jonathan Taylor is going to have a productive rookie season, and after that, it's full steam ahead for Jonathan Taylor, and he's just Mm going to be a world leader. That's, for me, why I think he can edge out CEH, because maybe in this next year, CEH could beat him, even like double his points. And I could still make the argument for Jonathan Taylor, just because I think longevity, he has those traits that, yes, he might not be a great pass catcher coming right out of college, just because of the sheer rushing totals that I think he is capable of putting up and the three-down power back that I think he can be. Not that CEH can't be a three-down power back, but I think he has that skill set of being a pass catcher so much that I can see Reed complementing him with a, you know, a Damian Williams in years to come. Yeah, he was my RB1 pre-draft, mm-hmm. and I don't think that should change too much in a very good landing spot, in my opinion who I'm assuming we both have third, is J.K. Dobbins for the Ravens. And in my opinion, there's a bit of a tier that includes two of the wide receivers underneath these top three. I really, really like the landing spot for J.K. Dobbins. I think him landing on the Ravens, maybe you have Mark Ingram sharing the backfield with him for a year, but just like Marlon Mack being gone. In year two, J.K. Dobbins is going to be incredible, and he is such a good receiver on top of it. And so much talk about, oh, will Justice Hill level up and become a really good third down? No. No, he just won't. It's going to be J.K. Dobbins. He's just a better receiver, and he's going to be used there year one for sure. Yeah, and I think selecting J.K. Dobbins in the second is almost tantamount to saying Justice Hill, we don't really care to stick around to see if you do level up. I would also say Mark Ingram, not only is he old, but he does have a history with Kafkov Kamara being behind him. Obviously, different team, different system, but I think Dobbins can sustain fantastic fantasy production kind of right out the gates, and when Mark Ingram leaves, the floodgates are open. I'm scared to see what Dobbins is going to do in that AFC North division. Yeah, he's going to be incredible. The next tier that I have below those top three includes DeAndre Swift, who went 203 to the Lions, Cam Akers, who went in the 20th pick of the second round to the Rams, CeeDee Lamb, who went the 17th pick of the first round to the Cowboys, and Jerry Judy, who went the 15th pick to the Broncos. On the top of that list, I still do have the top two running backs. I really like DeAndre Swift. He was right alongside J.K. Dobbins in my number two and number three spot pre-draft, but I do think that this is a non-ideal landing situation for DeAndre Swift. I think there is a good chance that he's going to be splitting a lot of those carries with a running back that I think is pretty good in on Johnson. What do you think about Swift? I thought it was a pretty gross landing spot for him. on Johnson obviously has had to deal with a ton of injuries, if he is healthy, which he will be at the start of the year, presumably as of right now, there's no way that Swift is going to be getting the workload that he wants, and I would say that he deserves. I think you could still be making arguments that he was the best running back in this class. I know we didn't, I would say, 
he's definitely top three in the East. I mean, he's still early, early second round. But to have to battle through carry on Johnson, who's still very young, and I do not think the Lions are going to move on from him extremely quickly. Yeah, he was also a second round pick only two years ago, and they definitely aren't hoping, in my opinion, to move on from him right away. I think they're just looking to split that backfield, and Swift will probably be similar to the guy he was in college, where he never did have the backfield to himself because that's the type of offense that Georgia runs. But the hope pre-draft was that he could have become something like Josh Jacobs where he landed in a situation Mm -hmm. where he was alone and he could have just taken over. After Swift, above the two wide receivers still, I've got Cam Akers going to the Rams in the 20th pick of the second round. I really, really like Akers, and I felt like it was likely that he was going to be a guy I was fully bullish on because I loved his tape. I love the potential of what he could be. And I do think that I am still very in love with him, but it concerns me a little bit that I think the Rams are not going to give up on Daryl Henderson or even Malcolm Brown, who is someone that they've shown through their actions that they really do like as well. So I fear that Cam Akers could find himself in a committee even though I think his talent should win out over those two. I think to directly compare, because that's what we're doing with these rankings, we're talking about Swift and Akers. Swift, I would say, in terms of the overall rating, just as him as a player and a skill set, slightly better than Akers. Akers' position, though, you're talking about you know, this committee. Sean McVay has outright said it's going to be a committee. Henderson was also taken in the second round last year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he did not have the rookie performance that really anyone was expecting. But I would say where Swift has to deal with Johnson, obviously it's going to be a tough battle. Cam Akers has to deal with Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson are equating to Carrion Johnson, but we just don't know exactly how that backfield is going to play out and I think it's just going to be more difficult for him to get touches. Mm-hmm. Because I think after the whole Gurley experiment, it totally worked. Because you had a guy like Gurley. They're going to be more than happy to be cycling through running backs over and over. Whereas I think Swift is a guy who could establish himself as, you know, I am constantly the third down slash fourth quarter back mm-hmm. for these scenarios. Cam Akers, I think, yeah, I would agree with you that he's one of five just a touch below Swift here. Yeah, I think... Swift has the potential that if he really shows the Lions what they want him to be, I think they could maybe get value out of a trade for Carrion or just let him go when that contract ends. I don't think they're going to be paying Carrion a lot, assuming Swift is succeeding with them. However, with the Rams, I can't really see a situation in which they're like, hey, this is our new girly. We're going to give him all the touches he needs because that didn't work for them that well the last time. Do you agree with having both of the wide receivers in Lamb and Judy below these two? This is for me where it gets really tough. Because looking at Lamb and Judy here, I personally would go Judy over Lamb just because of landing spot alone for me. That's fair, yeah. When you start to compare the running backs and wide receivers, this is for me where it gets pretty tricky. Oh, for sure. It was the most difficult part of these rankings to me especially with with the lower people was like hmm do i like this fourth round running back or this third round wide receiver that landed in a spot i don't really like it's definitely the most difficult to compare between the two positions 
I think for me, if I'm looking at this right now, I would be locking in for my personal order, DeAndre Swift, Jerry Judy, Cam Akers, CeeDee Lamb. The reason I'm liking Jerry Judy so much is I think he's the guy, because he is the technical route runner, that he can really grow with with Drew Locke. Drew Locke, I think, got his rookie season out of the way, and I think he could start building rapport with Judy as he's entering the league to an extent that Judy's, I think he's going to be explosive. Like, yes, he's got Cortland Sutton there, but I don't think we can start worrying about him losing touches. I mean, he, he's a rookie wide receiver. I think the reason why I have Lamb higher than Judy, and I'm especially surprised that you have the two of them so distant apart that Cam Akers would fit in between them. I think the reason why I'm less bullish on Judy and why I have the receivers lower than the top-end running backs is because I don't actually think either situation was the ideal spot. I think both Lamb, who has to compete with Cooper and Gallup, I think it's a similar situation where Judy has Colton Sutton to compete with, who's a bona fide number one. They also took KJ Hamler to be the third wide receiver on that team, and we'll obviously talk about him later, but they took him in the second round. Then he also has two tight ends to compete with, one of which already proved himself in Noah Fant, and the other the Broncos took with a fairly high pick in Albert O. I think overall, both of these two top-end receivers have a good amount of competition going in. Neither of them landed in the spot such as the Raiders, where I think they can instantly just soak up a ton of targets. I don't think either of them has that opportunity, and that's why both of them are below the running backs, and that's also why I have Lamb still above Judy, and that's because I think Lamb is just a better talent. Fair enough. I think Judy will be able to separate himself just because of his route running skill set for Drew Locke. Mm -hmm. I think that was where Cortland Sutton was helping him out, where he stopped being the field stretcher that they were making him play just at the very, very start of his career. And they started having him running more of the route tree Then he started to be more helpful. I think they're going to bring in Judy with every single route that they can possibly run. And I think he's going to be pretty great. I mean, C.D. Lamb, though. I'm a, I'm a Dak Prescott believer for this year. I think most people are. I mean, he's he's going to have some game-breaking plays. Yeah, I, I really do like both of them, and I don't want anyone to discount. I think if you have any of these top seven picks, you are holding Pat very happy with where you're yeah. at. And if you're at eight or nine, to me, you're either trying to trade up to get in that top seven, or you're really hoping for someone to take a guy like Henry Ruggs instead, as he mm -hmm. was the first receiver off the board. So after that tier break at seven, my next two are both first-round wide receivers taken only one spot apart in Jalen Rager and then Justin Jefferson. So they were taken, Jalen Rager was at 21 to the Eagles, and Jefferson was 22 to the Vikings. I slightly prefer Rager. I could definitely see the argument either way. They're pretty different receivers. First, tell me what you think about Jalen Rager. I think Jalen Rager catching passes from Carson Wentz is going to be pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I think he could establish himself as the wide receiver one within two years. I think it could be, yeah, I think it could be a DJ Chark situation. I think he'll do better than DJ Chark did in his first season, but then that second season, I would bet on Jalen Rager becoming that number one in the offense. Yeah, and I also think Jalen Rager kind of fits the mold of receivers that Carson Wentz has really liked, because Carson Wentz has that ex extremely quick release, and Rager's got that big enough body where when he gets out in his break, Wentz can hit him fairly quickly, and he has the hands to deal with it. Mm -hmm. 
in terms of competition, he really doesn't have to rise above that much. For sure. I think, honestly, Jalen Rager is the player that Eagles really hoped they were drafting last year in Jaja, and <laughs> they know that that one hasn't worked out. They really proved that this draft by drafting not only Rager, but I believe two other receivers later in the draft too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tough day for our Sega Whiteside, but I think Rager really is the mold in which Carson Wentz likes because he's going to throw that bomb and Rager's jumping ability. He's just going to go above the backs and he's going to really effectively go up and get those balls. And I think it's also worth mentioning, like he was only six picks past Judy, four past Lamb. Like he is a number yeah. one talent. Yeah, they drafted he's him to be the number one. To be the number one. 100%. Next person we have up right below Rhaegar there is Jefferson. I know you were saying that he just edges him out. In my mind, it's almost interchangeable because Justin Jefferson is, in my opinion, essentially the Stefan Diggs replacement. Not exactly the same type of player, but he's gonna he's drafted in the first round to fill up all of these missing targets that mm-hmm. Diggs leaves behind. What I do think was really interesting about the Jefferson pick is he's much more an Adam Thielen than a Diggs. In fact, Rager is much more of the Diggs. And I could see, in another world, Jefferson very easily slotting into the role that Adam Thielen may have left behind, but instead it's the other receiver. So I think it's interesting that they now have two receivers that are somewhat in a similar role. What is redeemable about that situation, however, is that I think both of them are versatile enough that they could switch out the type of routes, they could keep the defensive players guessing, and I think that Jefferson and Thielen could both thrive with Kirk Cousins. After these wide receivers, I have the next tier of that running back, and I think the two wide receivers that we've already mentioned in Rager Jefferson, this player in Keyshawn Vaughn, and the guy below them, Denzel Mims, have them all very similar. Keyshawn Vaughn was drafted in the third round of the 12th pick to the Buccaneers, which was one of the spots that everyone was hoping their favorite running back was going to go. Ronald Jones cannot pass protect. Agunbo Wale has not proven himself to be effective enough, and there's the possibility that Keyshawn Vaughn could step into a full bell cow role on what appears to be a really good offense. I also just think Keyshawn Vaughn is he's a talented player. Yeah, I think he, he'll be good. He's a great back walking into a pretty fantastic situation. And I'm not saying Brady is the godsend of 2020, but he's going to be getting a lot of work in the Tampa Bay backfield. Like mm-hmm. They cannot just rely on Brady throwing 100 passes a game. Like They're going to need a running game to help support the game that Bruce Arians wants. And uh, Roger wasn't really getting it done. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Roger's going to take a, this is year three for him coming in. He's not going to explode out of the gates year three. No. Keyshawn Vaughn was drafted. I know it's a little bit late in the third round, but they were addressing other important needs in Tampa Bay. Such as, I mean, offensive tackle. Yeah, that, they had to go O-line, for sure. That's, that's kind of number one priority. And so when they're taken, when it got to the third round, I felt it was very obvious they were taking a running back. And at that point, there were still lots of great guys on the board, and Keyshawn Vaughn was the one they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's going to be pretty fantastic. The most important thing with running backs is that landing spot. And he was amongst a group of players that we thought any of them were talented enough that if they got the draft capital and landed in the right spot, they would be good. 
and many of those players in that group didn't get this landing spot or the draft capital. But Vaughn did, and that's why he's in this next group alone amongst the running backs. If I were to just rank my running backs, you have the top three, you have the next two, and you definitely have Keyshawn Vaughn in his own tier right below. The final member of that tier of four players that I mentioned before is Denzel Mims to the Jets. And my take is that many people are going to sleep on the landing spot and the capital that went to Denzel Mims. He did fall a little bit in the draft. I think there was some receivers that went in front of him that in three years those teams are really going to regret because I think Denzel Mims is a very good player. I think he landed in one of the situations where he could potentially step into just being the number one right away. And so with your dynasty rookie picks, it is very beneficial to take someone who could accrue value right away rather than sitting around and not helping you and then it being a year later and you're not sure how to value or what to do with this player. I don't think that's going to be Mims. I think Mims is going to step into a day one starting role and be really effective for a Jets offense that I think is better than most people give them credit for. I think straight up right here, Denzel Mims is better than Robbie Anderson. Even sure. like, even right now, Denzel Mims is a better player than yeah, Robbie Anderson. I agree. I would say a very similar body type. He's got that kind of rangy, lanky frame. Robbie Anderson going to Carolina obviously frees up targets. And he doesn't have the exact same skill set as Crowder, who right now is the guy he'd have to beat out if he wants to become a wide receiver one. I think he's going to absolutely explode. I personally was hoping he was going to fall in the third round. Yeah, don't let that late second round scare you. Denzel Mims is pretty fantastic. I easily can see a world where Rhaegar and Jefferson have to, you know, kind of find their way in the offense, whereas Mims absolutely starts popping off. His success is dependent on Sam Darnold continuing to improve. Mm -hmm. But if you believe that he is going to improve, like I know Colin definitely does, I think he will too. And I don't think the Jets will be as bad as they were last year. Mims is going to be fantastic. I've been a fan of Mims since I saw his tape. I think he's phenomenal, and that's why we definitely have him over this next guy here. Next up, someone that I think will be going higher than this spot at 12 for most people, and also probably should be included in that tier of four, now make it five right above him. That is Henry Ruggs. He was the first wide receiver off the board to a spot where most of the wide receivers were probably hoping to go. He went with the 12th pick to the Raiders. If I am sitting at the very end of the draft, I don't think it's likely that Ruggs will end up to me, but I'd still be pretty happy to have him on my team. I fear with Ruggs that he may be used too frequently to just stretch the field and open it up for their running game or their tight ends that they like to use a lot. But the ceiling that Ruggs provides, if he really can become that Tyreek outlier type player, he really has the potential to be an absolute game changer for your dynasty roster. He's definitely one of the more exciting wide receivers in this 2020 class. Obviously being drafted first wide receiver off the board. I think the detractors against Rubs is you also have, we'll talk about him soon, but you have Brian Edwards going to the same team mm -hmm. in the third round, who's a fantastic kind of soak-up targets type of guy. He's already set records at his school. They also have a player we both like in Lynn Bowden, and depending on how they're planning to yeah. use these guys, they added a lot of receivers to the offense. Yeah. 
So I think one is first wide receiver off the board. They're going to try and get him the ball, no question. Also, in terms of who has the most juice in this draft, it's got to be Ruggs. The man can absolutely fly. You're going to have Gruden saying, run the four route like twice a game. Yeah, of course. If he's picking this guy first wide receiver off the board, he loves this guy. Mm-hmm. He wants to get him work. He sure. wants Carr to be thrown with these deep bombs. I just think, unlike a Judy or unlike a Lamb, you can game plan for him a little bit more. Maybe, though, the, the speed he possesses, he will turn into a Tyreek-type guy. I obviously think he's better than a John Ross, who still had that blazing speed, had all those records at the combine. But really, the only reason why picking Ruggs so early scares me is because of Brian Edwards and Lynn Bowden both going there. I just don't know exactly where he's going to end up in the wide receiving core. And I don't know if his draft capital affects how he will be used more. Because I think they drafted him because of his outright blazing speed that's going to win them games. It's going to score them touchdowns. I don't know if he's going to get more targets necessarily. Yeah, I think the fear with Ruggs is that even if he is really important to the Raiders, he is going to be that boomer bust player that you don't know what game he's only going to get one deep target and he could put up some really bad weeks for your team. Right underneath Ruggs, starting off the second round, is T. Higgins, who went only one pick after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with that first pick in the second round. Right below Higgins is Michael Pittman, who also went only one pick after him in the actual draft. Pre-draft, I definitely preferred T. Higgins, but I don't know if this landing spot is the most ideal for his fantasy output. I think T. Higgins, when I was comping him to players before the draft, I think he's very much like a Tyler Boyd, and this is a similar conversation we had with Jefferson in which he might be fighting for the same role. I think the difference with Higgins and Jefferson to me is that the Bengals have pretty defined roles for some of the other receivers that are on the team, And I think that could result in a lot of missed snaps on the field for Higgins. I think he may spend a good amount of the time sitting on the bench in year one. Maybe it takes him a little longer to develop. Whereas, ideally, when I'm drafting players for my dynasty team, I want them to give me that output right away so I can accrue value. Okay, so right now you're looking at A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross. Also... A.J. Green is not long for the Cincinnati Bengals. No. There's no chance he's going to be playing there more than three years. Or maybe not no chance, yeah. but... I, it's very unlikely. I think I think at max, you are looking at only one more year for A.J. Green on this team. But I still just don't feel that Higgins is the player to take over that outside role. I think he ideally slots in as that big slot player. And the Bengals are one of the few teams where they already have a player that is very successful in that role and isn't going to be easily giving it up. So I presume they're going to be trying to train up Higgins to take over for A.J. Green, and I'm less confident in his ability to succeed in that role. Below him, we do have the next pick, the second pick to the Colts, which in my opinion is a much better landing spot, and that's Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman will be really good on that outside. I think it makes sense because he could fill in for the role that really hasn't been filled for that team since Dante Moncrief was catching 
10 touchdowns a year four years ago. (laughs) It's been a while. Since then, it feels like every year it's pretty much T.Y. Hilton and nobody else. And T.Y. Hilton's getting older. They tried to take somebody in Paris Campbell last year to help with the receiving core, and he played very few games, was pretty ineffective when he was on the field. But what Paris Campbell does provide you is that speed, and I think he can be the Y receiver while Michael Pittman can be their true number one on the outside. Pittman's landing spot is a lot better than Higgins, I would say. And that's why they converged in my rankings. I had Higgins significantly higher before, and I had Pittman lower, and they converged in the middle to being very similar to me. If I am comparing the two, it's really, do I prefer the talent or the landing spot? Mm -hmm. After Pittman, we have the next running back, and I feel the last running back that I am very excited for and confident in in this draft class. It is also someone we've already talked about and someone that I suspect I am going to be higher on than most, and that is the Redskins' second pick of the third round, Antonio Gibson. I was very excited when this pick got made. It was probably the one pick that got the biggest response out of me, because as we said last episode, the draft capital mattered a lot for Antonio Gibson, and it was very unsecure. I didn't know if he was going to fall to day three, even deep into day three. It was all on the table. But instead, he went very early in the third round. I think the opinion on him would probably be different If it was three picks earlier at the end of the second, people would be shocked about, wow, the Redskins picked a second rounder. It's just their really early third round pick instead. And I think they will likely use Gibson because of just how incredible of a running back he is. I think he's straight up one of the better running backs in his class. I think Gibson's pretty fantastic. I think, for example, if Gibson goes to the Buccaneers, I'm going absolutely wild. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think the Redskins is a sneaky great landing spot to me. I think that's what made me so excited too, is that I'm always thinking of these NFL transactions in terms of dynasty values, and I think Antonio Gibson can probably slip to you reasonably late, maybe even the start of your third round, and you can get a guy who I really think could be a full-on incredible starter for your team. Now, I do know the Redskins just lost Trent Williams in free agency, but I don't think that this can dampen your expectations of Antonio Gibson so much. I also know that you might have some Geist believers out there. For sure. Geist, no matter what he tells me, angrily, in any video, he is injury prone. And I think Antonio Gibson, he also is a very, very different runner. Geist is more of the smash mouth type guy. Gibson's going to be ripping around, and for the PPR value, he's got hands. Yeah, he was a wide receiver. He's got very good hands. I think he could be a bell cow type player, oh my goodness, and yeah. I do think that Geis will be relevant, especially in the beginning mm-hmm. of Antonio Gibson's career, but from everything we've seen so far, from the fact that the Redskins decided to use their second pick of the draft because they didn't have a second rounder, their picks were... Chase Young, and then Antonio Gibson, it shows how important they view this position and the fact that they viewed it as a big need for their team, and they took Antonio Gibson pretty high. The final player that lives in the end of another tier for me is Brandon Ayuk, who went in the first round, 25th pick, 
to the 49ers. I must say right off the bat, it really surprised me that he went this high, even though all of the NFL experts were saying he was likely a first rounder. I didn't see it as much on tape. I see him much more as just a burner John Ross type. However, the 49ers picking him, also the 49ers trading away some of their other wide receivers in Marquise Goodwin, and Kyle Shanahan saying that Brandon Ayuk was his favorite receiver in the class really bumps up his value for me and gets me pretty excited about how good Brandon Ayuk really could be. I think Brandon Ayuk I was not stoked on initially, but the more you look into the Niners' wide receiving core, Ayuk could just pop off this very next year. Yeah, I think pretty much you got you got Debo Samuel and then Ayuk. I mean, you got Hurd, who's a giant question mark. Goodwin's gone. Sanders is gone. Obviously, Kittle's going to take targets. They still do technically have Dante Pettis, but who knows about him? My goodness. Dante Pettis, one of the more interesting dynasty snafus in recent history. But I think Ayuk is going to be pretty phenomenal for this team, and he's also going to a great situation. Obviously, a fantastic football team. Yeah, I think the potential for him now is a really productive receiver. I think that you could hope that his rookie season is that of someone like probably Michael Hardman, where he could really have those blow-up games Mm -hmm. and very immediately show you the potential of what he could be down the line. And I think his speed really does mean that he is going to be very helpful to what is already an incredible team. Below Brandon Ayuk, I have three more wide receivers that I'm very excited about. That would leave them at rookie pick 205, 206, 207. And I believe if you have any of the picks in this first 19 players, you're going to end up with a player who can really help your dynasty team. The first of this tier is LaVisca Chenault. He went in the 10th pick of the second round, above quite a few players we've already mentioned, and he went to the Jaguars. What did you think about LaVisca Chenault landing spot? I actually like it. I do not mind him going to the Jags. I think, obviously, he's catching passes for Minshew, which I don't love. I don't think Minshew is going to be the best fit for Chenault coming right out of college. But I think he can easily sculpt himself out of role in the Jags wide receiving core. Yeah, if I'm going to project their three starting receivers day one, it's most likely... D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, and LaVisca Chenault. I think he brings a certain level of dynamism that they can definitely use. And I think he is going to help the offense a lot just because of his versatility, his ability to take snaps even out of the backfield occasionally. If they do go into the season with Fournette, who is not the best pass catcher, maybe they could throw him into that kind of role and play some third down snaps. I think he could be really helpful to that team, and I also think he could be very productive in fantasy. He has the potential to be a number one for a team. I would bet against it for sure. He's not my favorite prospect. It's why he's at the bottom of all of these guys and below most of the other second rounders, but I do think that it's a good landing spot, and he has a lot of potential to be very relevant early in this offense. He was also Jags' first offensive pick, early second rounder. Mm-hmm. He'll be on the field this year. Yeah, he's he, gonna be used. He he got chosen over someone like Denzel Mims that we yeah. have seven picks above this, and they obviously really want to use him and want to feature him in that offense. 
The next two wide receivers that are in this tier are Devin Duvernay and Brian Edwards. They were both third rounders. Duvernay went to the Ravens and Edwards went to the Raiders. We already talked a little bit about Brian Edwards because of the Ruggs pick. I think he can be really benefited from someone like Ruggs and the fact that he can run those crossing routes. I think Mm -hmm. he has a good role. I think it's a good landing spot. And I was pretty happy with his landing spot because there was some rumors he was going to fall into day three. And I was pretty happy to see him go in the third round. Yeah, I think for me, I'm so hot on Brian Edwards that I would disagree with you here. I'd pop him above Duvernay. That's fine. I think he just has so many targets to soak up, and he's kind of the wide receiver that Derek Carr needs heading into this next year. Yeah, I think he could help him a lot. Yeah. I definitely don't want to skip over Duvernay. I think that the landing spot for the Ravens is a big hole that he can fill. I think they really only have Hollywood Brown and some tight ends right now, and I think that Duvernay could really be the number one receiver in terms of targets. But I would still bet that generally the offense spreads the ball around to a lot of guys. One thing that I saw watching NFL Network today on day three that really did leave an impression in my mind was they interviewed Jim Harbaugh and they showed him fist pumping around his house when he was so excited that Devin Duvernay fell to them in the late third. He clearly targeted this guy. He really wanted him to get there and to see his excitement, not only on video and also when they were asking him questions about it, he was talking about how excited he was to feature Duvernay in this offense. And that, although narrative driven, definitely increases my excitement about when a coach really loves a guy, he's going to find a way to use him. And I think that really matters for Duvernay's early and career long potential. I do like that. And I mean, it's narrative driven, but it's also coaches love making the decisions. It's, so it's an important narrative for sure. It still makes sense. I just still think, and it's not even a knock on Jackson, but he's going to be spreading the ball a whole bunch. And so I think Edwards just has the potential to be catching more passes. Yeah, I think it could be great. I think either of them could. And like I said, as long as you are in these top 19 picks in a 1QB league, I really like who you're going to get. I also believe. If you are a few picks later, there's going to be a couple guys who are lower on my list, such as this next one, who is going to go in that second round before your pick comes. At 208 and 209, maybe possibly because I had difficulty differentiating between the different positions, we have Joe Burrow and Tua Tungavailoa. First, of course, we all know Bengals took Joe Burrow 101. Thank God they did the right move. And then also in what was a very impressive move in my mind, Tua goes fifth overall to the Dolphins. They stay pat and still get the guy they wanted. And I think both of these two quarterbacks are really safe, good dynasty players for you to have. The reason I have them late in the second, despite being pretty locked in long-term starters, is the fact that neither of them are the Lamar Jackson type. Neither of them are probably going to be a top five quarterback. They're going to be more likely in the later QB1, early QB2 range. And as long as you have one of those guys, you're set for a long time. I do think they're smart picks. I just feel in single quarterback leagues, 
unless I'm getting the like huge upside quarterbacks. You can acquire these type of quarterbacks somewhat easily, and therefore I have them lower than all of the people we've listed above, but I do feel like if it's difficult for you to get a quarterback in your league, or if your team is just really void of quarterbacks, then grabbing one of these guys is just going to be a safe, easy quarterback to plug into your lineup, and you really don't have to worry about it for a long time. We talked about it last week, and the next guy below those two quarterbacks is someone that my co-host loved. So Toby, tell me Loved about tense, yeah. <laughs> tell me about Zach Moss to the Bills. Zach Moss for me went in just one of the worst landing spaces. Selfishly, I love Zach Moss. I love his tape. I was feeling really validated when you've got all these guys saying, "Ah, oh, well, Zach Moss could be one of the second best prospects coming out of this draft." Yeah, Mel Kiper sure liked him. Yeah, Mel Kiper sure liked him. Let's hope I don't end up like Mel. I also think Devin Singletary was a guy I was really bullish on, really enjoyed just watching him as a player. So when Zach Moss went to the Bills in the third round, I was pretty frustrated because both of these guys have different skill sets that the Bills will use for different situations. And at this point, you can be almost confident that they will become a committee together. Neither of these guys is going to be a locked-in three down back next year. I would say there's a 1% chance that happens. Zach Moss is the ground and pound guy. I think he's fantastic, but Devin Singletary is already being featured so much on that offense. It is extremely difficult for me to get excited about Zach Moss now. Even though I like the Bills, I think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to be running the ball. I don't think Zach Moss has the ceiling anymore that I thought he had. When I look at a guy like Gibson, I see such a clear and cleaner path to an RB1 for his team. Whereas I'm looking at Zach Moss, third round, it was late third round, I don't mind. And again, I enjoy the Bills, but him and Devin Singletary together, Devin Singletary is going to take away a ton of the passing work. And that's why if you have Zach Moss and you're as excited or were as excited as I am that he's getting into this league, got to temper your expectations for a while. I do think that in the back of the second round, taking a guy, even if you're somewhat confident, is going to be in some form of committee, but taking a running back that is going to get some touches and get the early down work, most likely, does have some pretty good value, and I don't want to knock him too far down or to besmirch his name too much, but I think if you're going to take the names out of it and say, hey, in the late third round, a running back that is less likely to be the receiving running back on his team is going to go join a committee with an established player on a team that has a rushing quarterback that's going to steal a lot of the rushing touchdowns. I don't think you're immediately very excited for that player unless he or Singletary does get hurt. It's similar to the Denver situation last year in which if one of them were to have gotten hurt, the other would have been great. And I do think that that is the upside that Zach Moss will have. If you're a Singletary owner, maybe you want Zach Moss and you can just secure that backfield down. Right below him, in a somewhat comparable role, I think you can have a debate between these two players pretty easily. I have Anthony McFarland, who went in the mid-fourth round to the Steelers, which was one of the teams that a lot of people like we said with the Buccaneers, we're really hoping their favorite running back went to. 
And I think Anthony McFarland has become a popular sleeper pick, but I don't think the role is necessarily carved out for Anthony McFarland. And I think at this point you're taking a shot on a guy that could be really good. He could overtake James Conner and become the number one on his team, but most likely he's probably playing in that backup role, the lightning to the thunder, who's going to get some work, but not become much of a workhorse. Yeah, and I mean, Steelers haven't had a very fast running back since Willie Parker, which was years and years and years and years ago. And he did have a pretty successful thing going with Jerome Bettis, but Anthony McFarland still has some work to do to win over Tomlin and go. I think, can he beat out Benny Snell? Yeah, sure, he can beat him at almost any sport. Uh, Jalen Samuels, totally different role. If you take McFarland, you just got to be nervous. This is why... Like my gut reaction when I'm looking at McFarland and Moss, I think McFarland could be extremely explosive because if Connor goes down, which he almost certainly will, the way he's used in Pittsburgh and the way his body is slowly deteriorating, very likely. McFarland's going to get on the field. It's just a question of how soon. And I think when he does get on the field, McFarland's going to blow up for the Steelers. I think it'll be fantastic. Can you be assured that he will be on the field before Zach Moss? Absolutely not. I say Moss is getting touches week one. McFarland, he might not even be touching the ball till week seven. And you might not know how good he is till three weeks after that. So I think McFarland is more of the shot. To me, he definitely has a higher ceiling than Zach Moss, at least for this first year. And yeah, I think one of the reasons he's a sleeper is the guy has blazing speed. He is undeniably quick, and he's also... He's known for being an extremely competent screen passer. So there's a chance he starts getting some PPR stuff. Not away from Connor right now, because Connor's pretty great at that. But I don't know, if, if you want kind of that shot in the dark, especially because Anthony McFarland is latter half of the fourth round, if that gets other people down on him, I would forego that. The Steelers were planning and drafting a running back. They did get this guy. I would be pretty excited to have Anthony McFarland sitting on my team but not if I wanted to have a player making an impact within these first couple of years. Yeah, I look at him very similar to how I looked at Justice Hill last year. He's a very fast, very athletically gifted player. His role is most likely that he's just going to be a backup and he's going to need an injury or an opportunity to become that dynasty-relevant player that you want. I also do think with McFarland, you probably are not going to have to take him at the end of your second. I think he's more likely a third-round pick because people such as this next guy are definitely going to be taken in most leagues above him. That next guy, with the second-round 25th pick, went to the Rams. He's wide receiver Van Jefferson. I must say, in my pre-draft rankings, I was not a Van Jefferson fan. I really did not want to have him on any of my dynasty teams. I was really down on him. When I looked at his tape, I think this really says it all. I thought he was an incredibly similar player to KJ Hill, and I thought that they would both be day three later picks. And KJ Hill was, he went to the Chargers in the seventh round. He's not a part of these rankings. But Van Jefferson went mid to late second round to the Rams where he potentially can carve out a pretty good role. It really surprised me, but I have to respect the landing spot and the draft capital means that they want to use Van Jefferson, 
And I think he has the potential to rise to the role and become a really useful dynasty piece. I think one of the reasons you can be confident he's going to be useful, even as soon as his first year, is you got the departure of Cooks combined with Goff being able to throw to three different wide receivers as he's done before. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he's going to be now behind a couple of guys, but getting picked in the second round, which is, again, he's above guys that I'm pretty hyped on, such as Devin DuVernay, Brian Edwards, whatever McVay sees, he is going to use with this. So just on that stock alone, the departure of Cooks, and Goff, I think, being a great enough passer to support him in his rookie season, you got to just respect sometimes other coaching people's decisions and say, yep, he's fallen to you this late, just where he was drafted. you got to pick him up. Mm-hmm. I do think he and all of the other second-round wide receivers, some of which I have rated even lower than Van Jefferson, I think all of these guys are going to be in the second round, and they're probably going to be pushing some of these running backs that I have around Jefferson into your picks in the third round. Right after Van Jefferson, one of those running backs, and in my opinion, one of the worst offensive picks in the draft, was A.J. Dillon, who went to the Packers with the 30th pick of the second round. I know Aaron Rodgers wanted them to take some skill position picks, but I don't think when he was calling up Mike McCarthy, he was really hoping for the one running back that can't catch a pass. (laughs) So... I just don't know why they want to add to this committee that they've been using. I think it makes sense role-wise that he would be more grinding out the first two downs, and then you could use Aaron Jones in a Kamara-like role. But I just don't see the need for this type of player, a player that I think I'm fairly obviously down on compared to a lot of this class. And I think that he, in a guarantee committee role, there's no way he's getting a lot of passing downs. They have two capable receivers in the backfield. They're not going to be using A.J. Dillon. I think he's not someone that I'm likely to go for. A.J. Dillon strikes me as a remarkably bad pick by the Packers. I know we're like making fun of Rodgers, but Aaron Jones is probably sitting at home being like, man, what do I have to do? Like, I just think, and again, it's Dynasty. We got to be thinking about the passes you are catching. A.J. Dillon is not going to be a better passer than Aaron Jones, let alone Jamal Williams. Both those guys have already shown their chops. Both those guys are already fighting to get more and more points in fantasy production just in terms of snap percentages. A.J. Dillon is a very odd pick for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with you and that he's going to get these first and second grinds, but Aaron Jones proved to be uh, lethal at getting in the end zone. So mm-hmm. I don't see this guy being like, ah, we're putting him in every time in the red zone. I don't even think it is on the play back. I find it such an enigmatic idea to deconstruct where he's going to be used and when that it completely turns me off of him. I, in fact, I would have Dylan below this next guy that we're about to talk about. Even though he went two rounds later. Even though. Yeah, it really is just the draft capital that has A.J. Dylan up in the 301 pick. Mm-hmm. To me, his talent, his situation is not that great. Even though you can guarantee he's going to get at least a little bit of work somewhat early on. The next running back that you were just talking about we talked about last episode, and that is Josh Kelly, who went in the fourth round with the sixth pick to the Chargers. I quite like 
The prospects for Josh Kelly to step in front of Justin Jackson and to join the committee with Austin Eckler, I don't think he's going to be thrown into a super productive role. I don't think he's going to get a lot of receptions, but I do think he's a good runner, and I think he'll earn the trust of the coaches because he can be really effective in that committee role alongside Austin Eckler. I think Josh Kelly is a better running back than his fourth round tag would explicate. And Justin Jackson, I know there's Justin Jackson believers out there. I think Kelly could very easily usurp him. Obviously not taking any shots at Austin Eckler. Different roles, but Kelly has a path here. Two guys here, one of them is used for something else. You just gotta battle it out with Justin Jackson, who has not necessarily proven himself to be fantasy gold yet. I think Josh yeah. Kelly is a guy where, if you're looking in the later rounds, you can go, this is a guy I'm pretty excited for. Mm-hmm. The only argument against him is that fourth round capital isn't great, mm-hmm. but being early in that fourth round, he definitely has the chance to take over, at least in a backup role at first. I really do think he could take over for Justin Jackson and be a backup who gets a limited amount of touches in behind Eckler, in which he would have the opportunity to show if he just deserves more touches. And that's what you need with a lot of these guys who you think have talent. You need them to get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. The next player at 303, Darrington Evans, was drafted to replace Dion Lewis. Almost exactly the same type of player to me. I just think they had a role that they wanted Dion Lewis to fill, and he wasn't effective enough at it. And when they were scouting Darrington Evans, they thought, hey, this is the guy that can be that perfect complement to Derrick Henry. I think it makes a lot of sense. He was drafted near the very end of the third round, but I do think that there's a good chance he can carve out a scat-back type role where he gets a decent amount of receiving from Brian Tannehill. What do you think of Evans? I think Darrington Evans is actually just a pretty talented back. And I think, obviously, he's not going to be on the field as much as he'd probably like him to be with Derrick Henry and his supremacy only increasing, I think, this offseason. Because the Titans took him early enough, you've got to think that he's, just as he said, he's going to adopt that Dion Lewis role. He's going to be pretty good. And Dion Lewis, was, his role was still there when they, they really did give him a chance. I think he was sure. just kind of too old and just wasn't talented enough. Yeah. This is a guy who's got these fresh legs and coming out of college. He hasn't played too many seasons. I think Darrington Evans is a pick you can go, yep, he's going to get some work. He'll be serviceable for me. Yeah, I definitely want the viewers to know that this entire group, in my opinion, that started with Tua and Burrow is very comparable to me. I I don't look at Darrington Evans and think like, oh yeah, I'd way rather have Zach Moss or McFarland, who I have ranked five, six spots ahead of him here. I think this whole range is very similar. And that's why I like the top group quite a bit better. Because I think if, for example, you could move up a little bit in that second round and drop down in the third or the fourth. I think there is a clear top group to me, and then there's this group where there's a lot of very similarly ranked players, and I do like Darrington Evans. He could easily slot in right behind Tua. It's totally possible, and I just think that you're going to have a good chance taking a shot on any of these guys. They could earn the role to be useful on your team. Below Evans, I have Justin Herbert. Not too much to talk about. We know he's a bit of a question mark. He's more of the high upside, but much lower floor than the top two quarterbacks. 
he went with the sixth pick to the Chargers. I really like the landing spot as a quarterback. He has good weapons. He has good opportunity. And I don't think that Tyrod Taylor is good enough that you think, oh, there's no way he can carve out his role early. I think there's a good chance that it's midway through the season. And those fans are all calling out to get Justin Herbert on the field. I think he could potentially be a really good pick. I think Justin Herbert starts week six. You heard your first deep dive dynasty. Justin Herbert starts week six. <laughs> I think it's going to come on the shoulders of a couple of weeks of inaccuracy, inadequacy, and then they're going to have a couple tough, big turnover number games. For sure. It's totally turnover. possible. One person that I think a lot of people may have in that second round that I have quite a bit later is the 17th pick in the second round, and that is Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool lit up the combine. I'm not that shocked to see him as this high of a pick, but what I am shocked is to see him land on Pittsburgh. I don't think they have a role within their wide receiving corps that's open for Claypool, and I actually do think, despite high capital, I think he'll struggle to overtake a guy like James Washington and find himself on the field consistently. I think there are two paths for Claypool to be a fantastic wide receiver for you in the next couple of years. The first path is that Ben comes back and he says, yeah, I'm fast enough in my progressions. I want to do four wideouts because when he was at his peak, he was just doing five wideouts. He was just doing empty backfield. And in that case, Claypool is going to get some mismatches. He's going to get some bad corners. He'll be fantastic. The second, if you want to go really deep state here, Juju's contract is up in the air. Are they drafting this next incumbent wide receiver? I think both of those scenarios, A and B, to me, pretty unlikely. So that's why I agree with having him this low. Some people are definitely going to make the argument that the Steelers have that track record of picking and developing receivers. And it's a fair point. It's a valid point because as far as we've seen recently, any of their early picks have generally worked out. James Washington is probably the biggest bust wide receiver that they've picked in the last few years, and he's really not that bad. He, no. But when I think of the most likely scenario of Claypool's career, I think they are going to want him to be Martavis Bryant. I think they potentially could run up a lot of plays in the end zone for him so he can use his size and athleticism and get the ball. But I really can't see him being a guy that gets a lot of targets. I can't see him being a possession receiver. And so I don't necessarily want a boomer bust wide receiver that's in a crowded wide receiver room to be in my first two picks i think he's better suited as one of these third round picks that you could take a shot on him because of the athleticism and because of the team and the assumption that they could train him to be a very effective wide receiver using his athleticism i agree and to your point in the crowded wide receiver room You've got Juju, who he's not going to be. Deontay Johnson's coming off a pretty fantastic rookie wide receiver season. James Washington had a bit of a resurgence last year. James Washington is not going to be the easiest guy to be there. Yeah, no, I agree. Next up at the sixth pick of the third round, I have someone that we spent a long time talking about last week, and that is Lynn Bowden. He went to the Raiders in the middle of the third round. We both are in love with his talent. There are some things about this landing spot that concern me. I have read that they are planning on using him as a running back, 
which is funny because that's the one of the three skill positions he did not play in college. He is very good with the ball in his hands. I can understand the desire to use him in a backfield, but what I hear from Gruden when he says that they initially see him as a running back, I hear that they're going to use him in special teams and not much else. Yeah, I also just I don't want to hear that he's behind Jacobs. Yeah, if they want to exclusively use him as a running back, he's definitely a backup, and he's probably not taking the scat role away from Jalen Richard either. I think Lynn Bowden is a really good late shot to take. I think he has a lot of upside just because he's such an incredible athlete, but I don't think he's worth it to take very early. I don't think he's worth it early in your third round even, because I think with the picks in that range, you can get somebody that will have a role on the everyday offensive snaps on their team. Another thing to harken back to last episode that I was really saying about Lynn Bowden is you want a smart coach who's ready to unlock his capabilities. I do not think Gruden is the progressive enough mastermind that's going to turn Lynn Bowden in what could be a phenomenal fantasy player. I think you got to take Lynn Bowden with an entire shaker full of salt. The first and only tight end that makes it into my three-round mock draft is Cole Komet, the first one off the board, who went the 11th pick of the second round to the Bears. He was the only second-round tight end that went in this draft, and in my opinion, he's the only tight end that you can have a good deal of assurance that he's really going to carve out a role, or that the coaches selected him really wanting to use him for an important role in their offense. In terms of Cole Komet going into a situation that's easy to scope without a role, don't think it's due to the absence of tight ends in Chicago. <laughs> Chicago has a surplus of tight ends. One would even say too many. But even despite this, it is Cole Komet's talent and it is that he was taken early in the second round that makes you confident that in his first year, and again, we all know tight ends first year, don't expect them to explode. He's going to be getting work still in the first year. I think the only tight end on their team that has any dynasty buzz is Adam Shaheen. At that point, those people have truther status. I don't think Adam Shaheen is much, and I think Kolkomet likely has a role in two years. I just think if you are really in need of a tight end, this isn't the draft to be going for one. Anywhere in this third round, I think you could go for it. You could take that Kolkomet. I'm sure there's going to be at least one team in every draft that does see themselves as needing a tight end, and they will take that shot in the second or third. But I think ideally you are just punting the position for this draft, or depending on how many rounds you have, you're taking the shots on the later guys. After Cole Komet, I do think a lot of these guys you're just taking shots on at this point, and I think DJ Dallas on the Seahawks is an interesting shot to take. He was taken with the 38th pick of the fourth round, so very late, and the only reason I'm really interested in him in the draft is because of the landing spot and particularly the state of their backfield right now. You have Rashad Penny coming off of a very serious injury, and there are rumors that Carson may also not be ready for the start of the season. Interesting. So for week one, it is possible that their backfield is Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. On the film pre-draft, 
I did like DJ Dallas. I think he's somewhat talented, and he's especially really good at pass protection, which is something that Russell Wilson could really use. So I think there's a good chance he'll be used in that third down role, which is pretty important. I think the best argument for why DJ Dallas is interesting in Dynasty is because you may be able to see what you have week one, and that's not something you can say with many running backs, especially running backs that you're taking in the third or the fourth of draft. I think this is probably a fairly early ranking for DJ Dallas. I bet a lot of receivers are going to go over him. A lot of tight ends are going to go over him, or even some of the other quarterbacks, even in a 1QB league. I quite like DJ Dallas going to the Seahawks. I think it actually is a good landing spot for him. Also, he's still a fourth rounder. For DJ Dallas, I think you can be pretty happy about that. Yeah, it's not bad. And the running back room may be a little crowded, but definitely a little beat up. And I think, as you're saying, the idea that, oh, yep, you could be getting snaps week one, that right there just makes taking a risk a little bit better. Yep. After DJ Dallas, at 309, we have someone that I cannot imagine everyone else in your league letting fall to 309. With the Broncos' second round, 14th pick, very early capital, they selected KJ Hamler to go alongside their first round wide receiver in Jerry Judy. KJ Hamler is a burner. He is very fast. He is very slight. I think his ceiling is something like a Hollywood Brown, but I really do think he is going to just play that role of burning up the sideline, spreading out the defense, pulling over the safeties, and he will catch some super long touchdown passes along the way, but they're going to be few and far between. And so I think I've rated him this low. I know someone else is going to take a higher shot on an early second round wide receiver, but I would be very happy whenever someone else does take that shot because I don't think he's going to be the type of guy who's going to produce in fantasy. I think he's just a guy who helps in offense. This is a guy that I think... For me, he's still a little low just because he's still that second round. Sure. It's pretty early, but that is really the only reason why I was high on him. KJ Handler is not a guy coming out watching tape and looking at the stats that I think like, this is a guy I need on my dynasty team. I kind of have the same worries with him as I do with Chase Claypool. Is he doesn't have a clearly defined role that is just open for him right away. Interesting, because I think he probably does. I think like you can you can say he's just going to be a burner and he's just going to rip down the sidelines, but I don't know if Denver's even going to play him like that. Obviously, he has the speed too, and, and you've got Sutton, Judy, and I mean, Deshaun Hamilton. I think Deshaun Hamilton lost his job. I'm for sure. They could have taken a different burner late, but they yeah. decided to take him early in the second rounder to go along with their early first round wide receiver as well. I think Deshaun Hamilton is out the door, irrelevant. Tim Patrick, if he's even still on their team, is also gone. I think they have their three wide receivers that they're most likely to use. Right. And he'll probably be on the field, but the fact that he's on the field does not mean he's going to be scoring okay. a lot of fantasy points. I guess then my hard question for you is if you think Hamler kind of has that at least a rule, even though it's not good. You do have a few spots below Claypool. What do you think makes Claypool better than Handler? The possibility that in three years, Claypool could be coached into a dynamic receiver, whereas I gotcha. think 
KJ Hamler is forever limited by how tiny he is. He'll never be a possession receiver. He can only be that burner. I think even someone like Tyreek Hill, which people love to comp every fast small guy to, Tyreek Hill is still thicker, stronger. He can like hold up his own, whereas I think KJ Hamler could never be a good guy in a contested catch. I think he'll just get bullied around, and so his role is going to be to spread open field like John Ross's. To finish off this three-round rookie mock, I have three receivers that went in the fourth or fifth round. It is Antonio Gandy-Golden, who went with the 36th pick to the Redskins, which I thought was a pretty good pick. It was good value for them, Mm -hmm. and I think they were a team that people projected may have used early-round capital on a receiver. But I think they got good value and they can be happy in that this is someone with at least some potential. But I don't know if a late fourth rounder is likely to get a role early. I think he's a bit of a project and I think he's just the type of guy that I'm happy to take a late shot on. But the odds are most likely stacked against him. I agree. I think Antonio Gandy-Golden could have been drafted to be what peak Crowder on the Washington Redskins was like where he can be a guy who's operating out of the slot and getting a ton of targets. Antonio Gandy-Golden, obviously, he's a big-bodied guy, so I'm not sure if he's going to have those kind of scampering runs that Crowder did, but I think there is an opportunity for him to get a role where he's just catching a lot of short stuff from Haskins if they try and develop him and rein him in a bit. Yeah, I think there is a possibility. I think he's a good guy to take a late shot on, Mm -hmm. but I think it's hard to push him very high up your rankings on the Redskins, who do have a lot of similarly ranked receivers with the guys they took last year and the fact that he was picked so late in the fourth. Right under him, another fourth-round receiver was the only guy on this list that I did not do enough pre-draft analysis on. It's Gabriel Davis to the Bills. I will say I watched a bunch of tape on him today because as soon as he was the only fourth rounder that I didn't really know anything about, I knew that I needed to catch myself up. So I watched a decent amount of his tape today, and I think that I can put him in a very similar category with Candy Golden. I think it's a pretty similar argument to make. He's going to have some difficulty carving out a role, but he does seem fairly talented. He's a pretty big, somewhat fast guy, and I think he has the potential that he could, in a few years, give you decent fantasy production. With the last pick of the draft, I have Tyler Johnson, Johnson. who went mid-fifth rounder to the Buccaneers. I think he's immediately competing for that third spot. We already know two of the receivers, and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are going to be on the field but now he has to compete with someone like Justin Watson to try to be that third guy. I think in the fifth round, the odds, again, are stacked against him, but he, on tape, was a good enough player that I do think he can impress his coaches and find an NFL field where he can be a starter, and that's why I kept him on these rankings in these first three rounds, even though with his late draft capital, there was a lot of people picked earlier that I still have below him. I quite like Tyler Johnson. Mm -hmm. I think he's a fantastic wide receiver. I don't think he's going to find many targets in Tampa Bay, even with the GOAT tossing him some passes. He's just going to be hard-pressed to be getting any relevancy, at least in his first year. Yeah, you're definitely looking at hopeful potential for the long term. He's not going to 
make any impacts in year one. He would need probably both Mike Evans and Godwin to get injured to really have a good chance. Yeah. Here. I also had a list of honorable mentions, the people that I just cut out, or I think in your later rounds you could be targeting. The running backs, there's LaMichael Pirine, who is a decent scat back. He went in the early to mid-fourth to the Jets. It's kind of a weird pick in my mind, but obviously they must have thought he was a good value there. So I think it is worth it to take a late round shot on him because he could give you some good PPR output. You have Eno Benjamin, who went in the seventh round to the Cardinals. I don't think they were targeting a running back, but Eno did fall to this point. Kind of surprised me he went this late, and I think there's a decent chance that he could eventually get a scat back or a backup role. I was very surprised he went round seven. Me that's, too. That's too late. Mm-hmm. But for any seventh rounder, it's somewhat unlikely. I would say the, the most likely scenario for him is that he is not only the backup, but the third running back on the team behind both Drake and Edmonds. Yeah. The third running back that I wanted to bring to your attention is someone that I really liked pre-draft. I had him in the mix with all these other running backs like Josh Kelly, DJ Dallas, AJ Dillon, and that's Michael Warren, the running back out of Cincinnati. I actually quite liked his pre-draft film, and he did not get drafted. However, he'd signed as an undrafted free agent to the Eagles, and I think in that role, there is potential on that team that they may not want to give Miles Sanders the entire backfield. And someone like Michael Warren, from what I saw, has the athletic ability and the potential to convince those coaches that they need to keep them on their 53-man roster and use him alongside Miles Sanders. I think it's unlikely you even need to take him with a rookie pick, but I think he's the type of guy that you should go in after your draft and add him as a free agent afterwards because he is the type of guy who could get a lot of buzz out of training camp. For the quarterbacks for honorable mentions, first name off the list here, Jalen Hurts, who surprisingly went to the Eagles. I honestly would be comfortable taking him at the end of your third round. Yeah, I, th- I think you definitely can. I think he has the upside that a lot of quarterbacks don't, like I was saying earlier, is that if he ever did have a full-on starting role because of his rushing, he could be very usable. And in Superflex, of course, all of these quarterbacks are not falling out of the third round. Right. You have Jordan Love as well, who went first round to the Packers, also a surprising landing spot. And then you have Jacob Eason to the Colts, which I think is a really good landing spot considering they only have Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett in their quarterback room. But obviously, as a fourth rounder, he's unlikely to get the shot at even a backup role. I have a list of wide receivers. They were all taken in the fifth round. They are Joe Reed, who went to the Chargers, Colin Johnson, who went to the Jaguars, Quintez Cephas, who went to the Lions, John Hightower, who went to the Eagles, Isaiah Coulter, who went to the Texans, Darnell Mooney, who went to the Bears, KJ Osborne to the Vikings, and in the sixth round, Donovan Peoples-Jones to the Browns. I think of that group, the guys I would target are John Hightower to the Eagles. He did impress me on tape. And then the other one, although I'm sure he will go somewhat early because he's a bigger name, it's worth it to take a late round shot on Donovan Peoples-Jones because even though 
His stats were never even that good in college. He is such a good athlete that if he ever was in the right situation with the right coach, he has the athleticism to carve out what could be a really productive role. One quick guy too, Darnell Mooney is a guy I actually think is sneaky good. Okay. He's got some fantastic acceleration and also bears not looking like a bad wide receiving room to be walking into at this point in time. Yeah, it's a decent location for sure. Beyond Cole Komet, who was the only tight end I mentioned, I think if I'm going to take another shot on a tight end, I like Adam Troutman, who went to the Saints. He went almost at the very end of the third round pick. Everyone besides Cole Komet was in the third round or later. The third round included two picks in Devin Asiasi, I believe is how you pronounce it, and Dalton Keene, who both went to New England. If I am picking one of them, Asiasi is a better receiver of the two. So if you're going to take that shot on a New England tight end, I would choose him. Asiasi was also chosen just before. Slightly before, yep, true. And then I also, if you're going to go into the fourth round, I like Colby Parkinson, who went fairly late in the fourth round to the Seahawks. Before we close out the show, I wanted to do the same segment we did at the end of last week's show, where I am going to give hints for Toby to guess the player that I think all of you need to go target in Dynasty. Oh, this is you keeping score. I did get it last week, so I'm undefeated. It, w- it was on the fifth hint, though, so at that point, I expect you to get it. So let's see if you can do see if I can even better this time. Okay, so the first hint is that last year, I was a rare wide receiver who outscored my quarterback in PPR. Wide receiver who outscores the quarterback? You know, with Allen Robinson. Very reasonable guess, but no. The second hint is that my team just drafted a wide receiver in the second round. Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton's a good guess, but no, that's not it. That's a very good guess. Makes sense with those two options. I bet Sutton also outscored take your pickup quarterback in Denver. Yeah, that's that's what I was Mm -hmm. Makes sense. In my own draft, I was also taken in the second round by the team that I still play for. Interestingly, that could still be Sutton, but it's not. Yeah, it could. Adam Thielen. It is not Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen was in, yeah, he was not a second was, rounder. He was yeah, undrafted. I regretted it the moment the words tumbled from my mouth. Okay, well, you're on clue number four. My fantasy pros ADP is 42nd overall as the wide receiver 22, right between Judy and Lamb in those rankings. Interesting. Okay. I'm trying to think of. Like which teams drafted in the second guy drew. in the second round? I know the Steelers drafted Claypool in the second round. Ayuba's first round. I got T. Higgins, Lavisca Chanel. Is it DJ Chark? Ding ding ding! It is DJ Chark. You got him the fourth, so you did improve. Good <laughs> Let's job. Go. My fifth clue was in my rookie season. I only scored 28.4 points in 11 games, making me the wide receiver 142. But this most recent season, my sophomore season, I jumped up to the wide receiver 17. 
Yeah, I, I would have got that one. Back. Yeah, I was fairly confident you get them. I know we've we even mentioned DJ Chark as an example in this exact episode. I think that DJ Chark is a good buy because I don't think that LaVisca Chanel hurts his role. And I also find that in general, a lot of people aren't believing in the jump that DJ Chark made last year. I think he proved himself to be a very dominant receiver. He is incredibly young, and I don't think he gets the same respect that some of the other wide receivers, mostly the rookies last year, like your A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, or Debo Samuel. I think most people will have these type of guys ranked pretty securely above D.J. Chark, and I disagree with that take. I don't think he deserves to be wide receiver 22. He just finished 17, and I expect that to improve. I don't think that Chenault negatively affects him, although I do believe that the fact that they drafted wide receiver may push him down those rankings even further and help you get a really good value receiver that can instantly go in your starting lineup every week. The stats the chart put up last season were with Michoud at quarterback. So despite any shoddy quarterback play, he's still finding ways not only to get open in the end zone, but just open on the field. I would argue for anyone saying that it was an anomaly to go look at the consistency to which he was putting up points, because it is extremely impressive. And yet, if I was staring down either A.J. Brown or D.J. Chark, I would go for Chark. Mm, even above A.J. Brown? I would. I, I like both of those players, but yeah, I do think that, especially where everyone is now in their rookie drafts, if you have, say, the seventh overall pick, and you're looking at picking Judy, and someone offers you hey, I'll give you DJ Chark for that pick right now. I think it is a great time to go buy Chark, and he'll be really productive for you. That's it for the show, though. Thank you all for listening. I encourage you, again, to leave us a review on whatever podcasting app you're using. Also, you can find us on Twitter, where I am going to post all of these rankings for you to reference, and you can also DM or tweet at us there, where we are happy to answer any questions you might have. Any DM sent to us will be responded to promptly and accurately. Thanks, Toby.